Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Polygon Alpha podcast, where the Polygon community gathers insights from today's leaders in decentralized finance, Web3, and crypto. I'm your host, Justin Havens, aka Crypto Texan. Let's get started. On today's episode of Polygon Alpha, we are joined by Gary and Daniela of the OVIX protocol. Gary, Daniela, thanks for being here with us today. How's everything going for y'all? Very good. Thank you. Very, very Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. Uh, very excited to be here and uh, always, always great to chat to you. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to have y'all. So let's get started with y'all's introductions and your backgrounds. Uh, Gary, we'll start with you. You know, what is your background and how did you get into DeFi in the crypto space? And then Daniela, we'll, we'll do you after that. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm, a, I'm a former banker by trade. Um, as I know, you, you've been also working in banking. So um, uh, I think you feel my pain that I had for, for a number of years uh, back in the, in, in, in the, in the financial industry, uh, seeing, you know, how, how it, it's ripe for disruption, but somehow banks are not good at, at disrupting themselves. So that's when I, you know, kind of t- took the initiative and said, okay, uh, let's, let's um, go. Uh, or uh, it was time for me to go and then essentially, you know, um, start, um, start out um, um, and, and um, start my own journey, which initially led me into fintech. Um, so I helped build out a number of fintechs uh, in Europe, um, one being a, a big German um, a mobile banking app and then uh, to other uh, banking or lending apps, essentially that have millions to, to either move money or, or get a loan in a, in a fully digital uh, way. Um, so back then, obviously, crypto and, and blockchain technology was in its very early days, but uh, around 17, 18, um, obviously, um, one of the biggest hypes uh, we had so far uh, took me uh, uh, or, 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 or kind of uh, led me into exploring uh, way more what, what's actually going on and uh, exploring what actually Ethereum does with their smart contracts. And then uh, um, when, when COVID started, um, you know, this is when, when, when I went full, I went full, uh, all in. And uh, yeah, we started with an NFT collection called CryptoGogos. Um, then, um, you know, we, we, we saw, okay, there's some traction. People get excited about this. We became a trending NFT collection, OpenSea. Um, and uh, this led then for the community, which was like five, 6,000 people at that time. Uh, they came organically to us asking us, um, hey, uh, can you do also combine NFTs with DeFi? And that's where we are. That's where the Google protocol came to be. All right. And uh, Daniela, what about your background? Um, so I've been dabbling in crypto for over a decade at this point. Um, uh, by formation, I'm a computational physicist. Um, I've been working in crypto full time uh, as of the beginning of this year actually, but I've, like I said, I've been dabbling crypto for over a decade. And uh, my whole obsession with crypto is just like the level of, 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 of refinition of refineness of data that one has access to in, in, in just observing how people uh, use financial products. And that is something that I don't see any, anywhere close happening in traditional finance. And like Gary is saying, it's, uh, the space is very much ripe for disruption. And um, I met Gary late last year, and I was sold immediately after a first chat with him on his vision and on the the, the project that uh, uh, he's pushing with. Uh, both, we're pushing with both GoGo and Ovix, and um, I, I jumped on board. I jumped on board, and I'm happy to be here. So I guess my next question is, you know, what is Ovix and GoGo, and how are those related? Are they even related? And I don't know what what are you trying to solve in the space with these two? protocols and projects? Um, let me start with Gogo first. So Gogo is basically an open source DeFi protocol um, that that um, helps with solving, uh, um, you know, entry barriers into, into crypto asset management and crypto savings. Uh, we're we're, we're uh, creating a super user-friendly DeFi protocol uh, that you know includes on-chain automation, one-click interactions uh, with DeFi, advanced security, advanced risk management, um, and our newest product that we're very happy to to announce uh, here today: our uh, GoGo V2 Delta Neutral uh, Vaults. Uh, something we're very excited about. 
Uh, OVIX is a lending protocol. Um, it helps um, really to, I guess, scale the Polygon-based uh, uh, DeFi ecosystem. Um, so we, we want to become the native or the core money market on Polygon for Polygon-based dApps. And we have a fantastic uh, tech running in the background of smart tokenomics, frictionless UX, um, and hopefully by that making DeFi really future-proof and, and bring DeFi to the next level of a big emphasis on risk management, uh, security, um, and yeah, essentially more reliable or I would rather say more sustainable yields um, as, as people now know them as real yields, something we're very passionate about for both Gogo and Ovix. And uh, yeah, uh, in its core, you can borrow against your supplied assets and um, you can enable them as collateral. So at its core, it's a compound fork, but with some tweaks, for instance, Vtokenomics, where you can push uh, the incentives and support of uh, Polygon Edge, uh, aka Supernets, um, and hopefully uh, at some point also the ZK EVM. Yeah, and I think something that we've started to notice in the bear market is that we are seeing a return to principles and a return to just, you know, the the fundamentals that have made DeFi and crypto and Web3 so special and what it is. And I think maybe a new fundamental that we've also started to see is the concept of real yields. So I before we, before we get in a little bit further on Ovix and Gogo, I want to talk about real yields. And can you just explain what that means uh, for our users and I don't know, maybe like compare that to emission-based yields that we saw in DeFi summer and the bull run. So by, by real yields, one means uh, yields that are the result of offering uh, utility to, 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 to an ecosystem of participants. Um, so this is very different from uh, uh, the liquidity mining incentive yields where typically a protocol where it will, will dilute the value of its token to, to create yield uh, and attract users on its platform, which is more like kind of like, like, a, like a VC style bootstrapping of a protocol. Uh, in the case of real yields, one is typically offering uh, like a valuable service to uh, economic service to, to market-wide participants. Uh, the typical example would be, for example, liquidity pools. So liquidity pools will pay liquidity, liquidity providers in the form of trading fees. Whenever you swap tokens on, uh, on a liquidity pool like Uniswap or Curve, a portion of your swap is paid in the form of, of fees for the swap, which is effectively you're paying for the value that liquidity providers are offering to you to swap, to have tokens available for swapping at the moment when you, when you needed it, right? So, I would, so, so uh, look, collecting, for example, Trading fees um, uh, and uh, all sort of like participation fees, if you will, um, which are a function of 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 the usage of, of of a user on the platform, as opposed to just the presence of the of, of a user on the platform. Those 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 will qualify as as real yields. Yeah, absolutely, that makes sense. And I think another thing that we've started to see in the bear market is just new designs in regards to tokenomics as well. And I know that Ovix implements the VE tokenomics design. I'm not as familiar with uh, GoGo as much, but why uh, can you also explain just what are VE tokenomics and maybe if you can even provide a history of VE tokenomics and how they became popular and how they benefit users. I think that would also be helpful. So um, VE um, has been initially uh, brought up uh, or, or kind of uh, made, 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 made popular by Curve, Curve Finance. Uh, when they launched their, their, their governance token, they launched it directly with the uh, VE tokenomics mechanism um, in the background. Um, the beauty of it, it creates basically, um, you can say an additional utility to the token itself by having uh, the token not just used for uh, on-chain governance uh, uh, votes that you know dictate the, the strategy of the future or, 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 or the direction that the DAO or, or the protocol takes, but rather also how incentives um, and emissions are being are being distributed or being handled, right? Because um, at its core, uh, the community should uh, decide how they want to get incentivized best, rather than a centralized authority. So this is where uh, Vito Economics um, makes or 
yeah, brought brought uh, a real innovation to the space because essentially you let the community decide uh, if and how uh, rewards um, that can be in your native token or or a n- number of other tokens, uh, depending on your business case, uh, are distributed um, at uh, at what emission rate and um, or volume and. Um, the VE token in itself that is then basically minted after usually locking uh, the, the other token. So in our case, it will be the VIX token that you lock for the VVIX token. And the VVIX token itself uh, can be uh, used potentially uh, to uh, to create a convex type of, I guess, bribing war where uh, others uh, that might want to increase so for instance in, in the case of Ovix um, incentivize the medic re- daily rewards rather than the, the Bitcoin uh, daily rewards um, they could then ins- try to incentivize in VVIX token holders so VTokenomic uh, uh, token holders to then um, vote in their favor, in their case, and into the Matic market rather than the Bitcoin market to increase the yields or the rewards for the for the for the for the Matic market, and by that just create basically this uh, continuous support of 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 um, incentives uh, that are aligned with what the users actually want, rather than what the protocol decides to do. And um, this also, you know, has has the benefit that it locks. The, uh, up, uh, the main token, meaning less tokens are in circulation, and that also means less uh, potential sell pressure uh, for the token. Uh, that's that's one main reason why many protocols are now exploring this or have implemented this. Um, and it's a, it's a good way to really gauge a kind of uh, the interest of the community wh- where and what market in our case we have seven markets on ovix now uh, my um, uh, from Chidao uh, became the seventh uh, market that we started supporting since last week um, and uh, people can then once the token is live choose to uh, have their incentives be paid out rather uh, into, into more into the my market than the medic market or vice versa so that's that's a really really interesting uh, way of of creating this so-called flywheel uh, where you lock and get more rewards. And uh, yeah, um, this locking also can uh, take as long as four years, which which is a long time in DeFi. And um, we, we've definitely seen, um, you know, some projects um, doing exceptionally well um, of, of, of that model. So, so um, that's, 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 uh, that's definitely good to, to have uh, as part of your token uh, design or your tokenomics. Uh, but I don't think that that's the end here. I, th- I think we'll, we'll have way more innovations coming out in the distant future when it comes to token design and t- uh, token economics. Um, so for my end, if I, I mean, I think Gary pretty much covered it almost entirely. But if I could add uh, a point to this is that, um, you know, it effectively adds more of the, the liquid voting aspect that people want to look for in, in Web3. Um, because with the uh, VE tokenomics, like Gary said, it's not just, you know, just as uh, uh, any random participant uh, earns the same amount of, uh, of, of, uh, of liquidity mined tokens on the protocol, but the users effectively control how this liquidity mining gets distributed. So that's one that the first thing that Gary mentioned. Um, with regards to the sell pressures, I would also add that there's another point that I think is very relevant, which is that it aligns the incentives of the DAO participants. Because without VE tokenomics, effectively, uh, someone would someone could participate in voting and buy a bunch of tokens to participate to sway a vote and then dump the tokens afterwards. And with VE tokenomics, this this is this is heavily unincentivized because especially the longer you lock your tokens for, the more voting power you have. Yeah, I think ever since the implementation of VE tokenomics, I've always I've also always kind of seen it as like a, a little bit more of a superior type of token, tokenomics system in the sense you know the, having to lock up those tokens. It, it kind of aligns. Right, the users of the protocol, uh, the investors, the down members, everyone—it it just helps with that alignment a little bit. Do you feel like that's like one of the major benefits that you see with that? 
Uh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, after all, it's uh, we we all the whole point of uh, of finance is to create like a communication medium uh, for value, not value in the form of necessarily money, monetary value, but also like value that we ascribe to choices, decisions, perspectives, opinions, and and so the the more the more uh, the participants can be kept incentivized to be in line with the value that they perceive, the better it is. And in this sense, veto economics is a way better job than just just simple tokenomic voting. Yeah, and I think when I look over the landscape of DeFi in general, I think I see DEXs. There are so many DEXs in the space, decentralized exchanges. And then I think next to that would probably be the lending and borrowing protocols. And there are obviously just, there's so many lending and borrowing protocols in the space or interest rate markets is another way to put that term. What do you feel like sets OVIX apart from the rest of these is it the VE tokenomics alone or are there other things that differentiate the protocol? Yeah, so um, the VE tokenomics is, is something we, we just, uh, um, from day one, when we discussed it with many uh, stakeholders, investors and, and partners that, that we felt um, makes makes a lot of sense, um, you know, because the community seems to, to really like that model. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's, that's, I just, the founding, uh, one of the founding initiatives or, 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 or one of the main initiatives, uh, when, when founding, uh, uh, when, when OVIX was founded, but, um, going forward, um, there, there are a number of initiatives, um, that I think will, can catapult uh, OVIX really to, 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 to the next level. Um, one being, um, uh, that, that, um, there will be a token, of course, uh, that, uh, will have a number of utilities, um, that, that uh, hopefully will launch soon. Um, but other than that, um, I think the core vision of, of OVIX is to be the core, um, uh, money markets of Polygon. And we just started, um, the, the partnership with Gogo V2, uh, something we're very excited about to actually, uh, you know, really have those delta neutral strategies, uh, uh, power empowering those delta neutral strategies, uh, that partially go, uh, and work via OX. And, and we can, uh, definitely expand on that, which, um, is something we're very excited about. Then the support of supernets. Um, another thing that really keeps me, um, uh, awake at night and, and, um, you know, speaking to our community, they all seem to be extremely bullish on this because supernets is just an amazing, scaling solution for polygon itself um and and um i know how polygon is excited uh, about that and, and pushing that uh, trying to push that narrative so so we definitely fully align there and uh without uh, you know releasing too much alpha uh, i can tell you we're 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 integrating with one of the major supernets uh, projects right now and uh, very soon hopefully will be the the, the first uh, money market lending market that uh, fully supports a supernets use case and the goal is to be basically the core money market for all supernets um, for dApps or chains uh, however you want to see them and and um, yeah we, we feel very uh, strongly about you know being able to 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 to, to Build this and and uh, also scale this uh, together with you know supernets uh, scaling. Um, have tons of uh, support of interesting markets. So apart from my, where something I can share with you uh, is the Xmatic support that uh, is now going uh, live imminently which is a liquid version of Matic, as you know, a liquid version of stake Matic. And, um, that, that's, that's, I guess on the, on, on, on those things that you would expect from a DeFi protocol to do one thing that, um, I think not many expect us to do, but we strongly think it's uh, very necessary as a very big focus on risk management and, uh, a few things that we've been building on and Daniela can expand on this are, are, you know, 24 liquidation probabilities, um, features where we, you know, um, look at toxicity numbers of underlying, uh, tokens and, 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 and uh, markets that we support, support, um, dynamic interest rate curves, um, that, um, just create a more, uh, 
stable way of how to plan for uh, excess market volatility where uh, potentially too many people start borrowing and you don't have enough liquidity. Uh, things that usually lead to tons of cascading liquidations and we found a way to, to kind of mitigate that and make it way more user-friendly to, to manage those interest rate risks essentially. And then last and, uh, but not least, of course, uh, a, a very strong focus on ZK technology and, and privacy. Um, and um, this is probably the one we, where, where we, we can share the least amount of info right now just because it's still early days. But uh, we think this, this could be a game changer. Uh, if not this, then next year for sure. Yeah, Gary, you talked about a lot of very, very interesting and exciting topics there. Um, and, you know, talk about implementing Matic X in my, and for those listening, Matic X is, like you said, Gary, the liquid staking token for Matic, uh, similar to Lido's ST Matic or ST ETH for Ether. Uh, Stator Labs has Matic X. And so those are the two main liquid staking tokens that we've uh, been seeing on Polygon lately. And then my, which is the stable coin from the Cheetow protocol as well. And, uh, I, I think one of the things I want to touch on first is I, I think another big topic that we've seen in the bear market has to do with these Delta neutral strategies. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about what that means? And I think you said you're focusing on Delta neutral strategies with that implementation with uh, GoGo V2. So maybe talk about that as well, how that partnership works. Right. Uh, so, so delta neutral strategies are investment strategies that try not to take a directional exposure on on the price of a risk of a risky asset. Um, uh, they typically require some. Uh, uh, it's simply a trade that requires at least two components. One component that effectively is a component that accesses the yield uh, generating portion of the strategy. And the other component is the component that uh, neutralizes the price risk of the first component. So typically, you know, you can't generate yield without taking on some risk. So uh, effectively, when you, when you, when, if you're going to access real yield of some kind or another, you have to take some directional exposure uh, to some risky asset. Um, and instead of going in it with your entire amount of funds, what you do is you go in it with only a portion of your funds, and with the remaining amount of funds, you effectively take the opposite directional price risk uh, in a measured way, such that independently on how the price of the risky asset moves, effectively the, um, uh, the, 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 the effects of the, the directional price exposure gets canceled out across the two, the two legs of the, uh, of, of the investment strategy. And this, in the meantime, effectively allows you to, to farm the real yield without, while neutralizing your, 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 your directional price exposure. Right. So like taking a ETH position in a negative ETH position in a liquidity pool, that way you're still basically getting that exposure to ETH neutrally or no mm -hmm. exposure, I guess, at all, but still getting the benefits of the trading fees and mm -hmm. potentially whatever farming yields are there as well. Precisely, precisely. And that's, it. That's, mm -hmm. that's effectively our, that's, that's the approach of our first version of our vaults is effectively, is effectively that. It's, uh, it's taking on a variety of, of, of liquidity pool positions uh, where we neutralize the directional price risk of these positions by, uh, by effectively betting on the opposite uh, directional price exposure uh, with leverage on on Ovix. But this, and this this explains why the synergy between GoGo and Ovix. So GoGo effectively creates a platform for uh, the, the NFT powered vaults that users will deposit their deposit their money into. The vaults effectively manage the delta neutral strategy. In other words, they will construct both components of the strategy for you, and they will use Ovix to create what's called the hedge, effectively to neutralize the directional price risk that you're exposed to on the real yield generating portion of the, of the investment strategy. Yeah, and this brings up another interesting point that I, I kind of want to touch on as well. It's that uh, you're saying NFTs, and I think a lot of people, when they think of NFTs, they think about in-game assets and profile pictures, but it can also just be, you know, uh, in a monetary sense, from a digital asset standpoint, it can just be a liquidity position that you have that is not fungible, right? Similar to the Uniswap V3. Um, can you explain why that is the case? Like, why is this position not fungible? Why can it not be an ERC20 token? Oh, because it's just it's just the, the it's just the the instantaneous like state of 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 your position of your funds on 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 the market and and it, and it can represent a more complex uh, monetary position than just holding 
uh, an effective token. But, but but to your point, in principle, one could, in theory, also like have have, for example, have a have like a like an actively managed fund that if effectively issues you a receipt token for depositing your assets into the fund, and the fund gets actively managed for you. But when you do it through 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 um uh, uh, through through, through, through an NFT-powered contract, you effectively control the entire liquidity provisioning of the strategy in a very fluid and liquid manner. Yeah. So for those listening, keep in mind that NFTs are a basic building block for DeFi and not just for the metaverse and PFP art and culture space as well. I think that's also something to pay attention to. And you also talked a lot about supernets too, Gary. What are y'all doing with Polygon supernets or what do you plan to do in the future? If you can share this alpha, it might be too early. Well, it's it's called the Alpha Podcast for a reason, right? So, <laughs> um, we think Supernets is is is, is a fantastic uh, solution. Um, we've been talking to to the team um, for a while now, and and uh, I know it's kind of I think also brainchild of uh, Mihailo, one of the co-founders. So uh, we've been also uh, talking to him a, a while back on 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 this in detail. Um, we generally think, especially given I guess our background, my background, and the background of uh, many guys in the team, um, that that you need to find a way to bridge say fintech um and let's call it the web2 world with with what we're doing um with the protocols and 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 uh, what's what's currently happening in web3 and and DeFi in particular and um supernets seems to be almost the perfect solution for for exactly that use case right so so just hook up your backend uh, to to polygon edge supernets um see it as a blockchain as a service solution right where you don't need to create your own blockchain if you have a blockchain use case and making the whole integration way smoother way easier uh, more cost effective uh, essentially and um yeah then be able to tap into into the realms of of DeFi, of nft metaverse whatever serves your purpose and with with what we're we're doing we 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 will or we have a multi-chain approach with ovix but that doesn't mean that we go cross-chain on other um, say side uh, chains or layer two chains, but rather have a, a double down on 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 the tech stack uh, of Polygon because we're we're convinced that this will it is and it will continue to create uh, amazing use cases for for applications, be it Web two applications or completely new Web three based applications that can attract millions, if not billions, one day. Uh, we generally share that vision of, of Polygon, and we we sign up to 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 be one of those products that that uh, uh, really tries to contribute as much as possible to to, to that vision. Uh, with our in our case, with a, with a clear focus on DeFi and DeFi use cases, just because I guess that's that's uh, where most of our experience lies in. Uh, also, kind of from the traditional financial world, uh, but yeah, as 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 you heard, uh, NFTs are. are are definitely a use case there and who knows maybe maybe other uh, verticals one day um, as well so yeah this multi-chain approach uh, based on the polygon multi-chain if you want to call it that way that's something we we're extremely uh, you know a bullish on and um, yeah um, as you know or Maybe you don't. Um, there are tons, uh, dozens, if not even hundreds, of use cases currently in development or in talks to 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 to, to be built, um, and and uh, we want to support as many as we can with that. And uh, this will require quite some technical innovation, also from our end. Um, but I think we, we have what it takes to, to, to do that. And, um, as I said, with at least one, as, uh, of those, of those newly, uh, uh, or how, how do you want to call them? Freshly minted polygon applications. Um, uh, we, we are integrating as we speak and there are a number of others that are currently in the pipeline. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't share the names, but, uh, I hope um, in, in a number of weeks or months, uh, many many of your listeners and users will 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 um, 
will 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 hear and know about this. Um, and and yeah, I'm I'm extremely excited about this. This is this is really uh, very very edgy stuff. That's why maybe it's called Polygon Edge. Definitely, it's not called Polygon Supernet. <laughs> they retired the edge name. But um, I'd like to add a couple points to this, uh, just to just to, uh, quantify like what where, like the excitement comes from my end uh, on the whole Supernet's uh, uh, development. Uh, is that I think Supernet's it's, it's, aside from just you know effectively creating like a mechanic for uh, the the capacity for this multi-chain world that we've been talking that people have been talking in the space for years now. I think it allows to really explore uh, the um, the public private gray space uh, in blockchain products that can exist. So uh, up until now, like a lot of the, com the, the, the commentary and the narrative has been around like uh, blockchain as a private tool. Then in the 2017, we had, you know, uh, a blockchain, the technology, not, not blockchain. Sorry. Uh, uh, not like coins, not Bitcoin, not Ethereum, just blockchain technologies. And I think there's like a truth to a little bit of everything. Like you can have on one end of the spectrum uh, blockchain solutions that enable like a completely permissionless uh, uh, monetary network or or a, um, or a standard for token transfers of all kinds. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, you can have blockchain style solutions in an entirely private uh, setting. Like take, for example, like a, like, a, like a private company. A private company has to manage its books. And if it's a publicly traded company, Company. It, has, it has to report quarterly uh, um, quarterly reports every quarter, right? Um, in, in principle, if they they could um, uh, run the books on on a supernet, uh, a, let's call it a private blockchain that periodically commits the states the state of its chain onto a more public permissionless or not uh, blockchain. In this case, it would be it would be Polygon, um, and effectively allow a more uh, liquid management of its or, or more than management. Sorry, a more um, uh, uh, um, liquid attestation in the form of proofs of its uh, a company uh, of its company operations, which is something that doesn't exist. In the traditional uh, in, in, in in the traditional business world, because you just wait for the end of the quarter when all the reports uh, uh, come out, and you don't know if those reports were in principle cooked the day before the report release. Um, and whereas in a case of the Supernet's kind of solution, you can in principle show that the report is built on data that has been committed periodically for the whole time of the quarter, uh, and then once you introduce uh, you know, ZK EVM style style solutions on top of this, then you allow even like a more, it, it isn't just accountability, it's just, it, it's a more, it's an even more uh, more dynamic inter interactivity with, with the company. You can interact with a company in a quote unquote private way, private, quote unquote private, because it's private with respect to the, to the world at large, but it, it could not very much, it very much wouldn't be necessarily private with respect to your interaction with a company itself that you're, that, that you're interacting with, but you can, the company or you, can prove any or some subset of the information that you've been sharing with this company or that's been produced as a result of your interaction with this company in a continuous way and this is this is this is completely new stuff it's uh, it's it's just hasn't existed before so so you can't you can't you can't it's it's a uh, unless unless one's opinion is that this is at value add equals zero this is this is value add equals not zero. And if it's value add equals not zero, once you scale it to the size of the business world and, and the amount of value that is moved by the business world, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to really, to really take the side of, of, of bearishness with regards to these kind of technologies. Yeah, I obviously totally agree with you there. I think that uh, the true full potential of the Polygon Supernets is yet to even come close to being realized or even imagined, um, especially when it comes to ZK Tech and the future potential ability to build your own layer two solution with supernets as well. So it's always exciting to see early adopters like your team taking advantage of that. Um, but let's, let's kind of transition back over to OVIX. And I know that you have this interest rate model that I think was called dynamic jump rate interest model, but maybe you changed the name to just dynamic interest rate model. Uh, yeah, I think that's important too. And it's another thing that helps differentiate yourself away from the crowd of other lending and borrowing protocols. So what is this model and how does it help users of the protocol? Right. So uh, the jump rate model is basically the standard model that is used in lending market across across the ecosystem. It's basically just uh, uh, like two kinked linear functions that interpolate borrow interest rates from zero to some some 
set maximum, parametrically set maximum, whose objective is to effectively incentivize borrowing if um, a cer- uh, if uh, if a certain type of asset in the uh, in, in on the lending market isn't being uh, utilized, uh, then it effectively sets really low borrowing rates for it to incentivize the borrowing. And then as this this asset gets used more and more and more, um, uh, its interest rate rises, and it rises in a relatively in a linear fashion up to some what some optimal utilization, which uh, typically relies around 80% for the uh, the the big lending markets and ourselves also, um, and then beyond this, uh, let's call it optimal uh, optimal utilization threshold, uh, then effectively you want to start disincentivizing further borrowing. Because the way the way lending markets work is that they're over collateralized. So um, you can you, you, I, you want to obviously allow the the, um, uh, the like the, the the UX easiness of of depositors to deposit assets and, and and withdraw assets whenever they want to. But the problem is that if all these assets are being borrowed by other users, then they can't withdraw funds if they need to. So typically this is why you set an optimal utilization that you try to target, which is less than 100%, because you want to leave yourself a buffer of capital such that users can can withdraw uh, arbitrary amounts of funds. Obviously, it's not really arbitrary. There's a there's a limit how much how much can be withdrawn. But if a market is if a lending market is liquid enough and has a high enough TVL, this buffer is typically enough to allow anybody to withdraw. Um, uh, uh, so. Now, once the utilization rate starts going above this optimal this optimal threshold, what you want to do is you want to effectively incentivize people to repay their loans to bring the utilization rate back down to that optimal level. And for that, you need you need the borrow rate to increase. The problem is that you can't just have it increase linearly like 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 you did between zero percent utilization and optimal utilization. You have to start penalizing more heavily borrowers that want to borrow an overutilized uh, market. And the way this is done has been done is through this jump rate model, which is literally just a linear ramp up of the borrow rate up to the optimal utilization and then a steeper linear ramp up of the borrow rate once you go beyond the optimal utilization threshold. And um, the problem with this, uh, well, it has this, this approach has a pro and a con. The pro is that since it's, it's, it's effectively just linear functions, it's very cheap at a smart contract level to implement in terms of gas, gas utilization. The downside, though, however, is that it creates a kink at the optimal utilization threshold, which is the last place you want to have you want to have a kink in a borrow rate curve because what it does is it creates higher volatility in borrow rates at the utilization threshold where you would like your protocol to be and this is a problem ideally you want the protocol to be to work and and, and behave as stably as possible when it's being used as "Quote unquote optimally, right? So effectively, what we introduced is the, um, we introduced uh, um, a curved interest rate model that effectively bypasses the kink and creates a very like a smooth interpolation between the 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 lower utilization ramp up in borrow rates and the higher sped up ramp up in borrow rates for for higher utilization, while reducing um, uh, uh, and this effectively reduces the volatility of borrow rates as the utilization fluctuates around the optimal threshold." And this is something. This is something that obviously, like I said before, has now has a con, which is the opposite of the con for the jump rate model, which is that it uses slightly more gas fees to effectively be, get computed because it has a, a large number of, of, of multiplications. In our case, it's like five versus one of the jump rate model. Uh, but on, on Polygon, this is this is this is effectively uh, negligible because fees are so low. Uh, so uh, on, on mainnet, it might it, it could potentially be a be, be a problem. Uh, even though I don't think it would be that big of a problem necessarily. But it could potentially be a problem. Whereas on Polygon, it's totally a non-problem. And like I said, it serves a purpose, which I th- which I think is very valuable for us, which is to to stabilize borrow rates uh, um, when the when the protocol is being optimally used. So my my understanding is that based on what you said, is that it smooths out the borrowing rate as you get closer to that. I guess that optimized zone on the rate curve. Am I understanding that correctly? It's like it, it's well, technically, it's it, it. I mean, you have to ramp up, right? Basically, there's the the, the bar rates have to increase because the more an asset gets utilized, the more you have to I mean, you have to pay the depositors. Otherwise, depositors otherwise depositors would not be depositing money, right? So you have to increase bar rates as assets are being utilized to pay depositors. And then once the utilization rate becomes too high, you have to ramp up the bar rate even more to disincentivize borrowing. And this requires some transition in between that makes the borrow rate increase more steeply. All we're doing is smoothing out this transition as much as possible, as opposed to just having two linear legs and a kink at the optimal utilization. This is really fascinating. And I think it's 
it's another thing that's, you know, this, like you said, this type of model probably would not work on Ethereum mainnet because of the high gas fees. And I think that is something that's very exciting about Polygon DeFi for me personally, is that you do start to see different just techniques in calculating interest rates and the curves that you would not necessarily be able to implement on Ethereum mainnet because of the high gas fees, right? Is this, you know, is this one of the reasons you chose Polygon? Like, wh why did you choose to build on Polygon of all the other chains and scaling solutions that are out there right now? Yeah, um, I can take this one and um, start, I guess, by, by saying um, <laughs> there are not that many alternatives, to be honest, these days. Uh, because we, even back in the day, uh, there were a few, but we we... Maybe it was a gut feeling, but somehow I, I, I saw that not everyone will be able to pull through. And by pull through, I mean uh, be able to support uh, a, a growing company, growing startup, uh, or a growing protocol, or growing DAO, the way Polygon does with, with uh, most of their uh, uh, solutions that, that they support. Um, just because... You know, for for many reasons, but um, I guess one reason is we we have people that we know personally that take the time as you do, and and uh, many of your colleagues and team members uh, that that listen to to what founders think uh, that that. It's 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 a not it's not a one way uh, discussion. It actually goes both ways. They do uh, listen uh, to 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 us as founders as well as we listen to them as 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 I guess facilitators. And I guess yeah, it's based on that relationship that even though everything uh, is supposed to be decentralized and trust and permissionless, uh, we're still humans, right? We still rely on relationships in terms of. Uh, we, we want to build something together with others that we feel comfortable with building rather than just, uh, you know, it's not just zero and once. It's also like uh, when there are issues, especially when there are technical uh, hurdles, you, you, want, you want to have someone that you can reach out to, right? And uh, not everything is solved by just Googling it uh, or asking on, on some random Discord. And, and um, I think that's, that's a big plus because um, I felt many other ecosystems are not as supportive. Um, and on top of that, I guess it was also good timing. Um, pulling on itself was already mature, but not mature enough. So you knew that uh, you can grow with, 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 with their ecosystem uh, as they grow and as they continue to grow. Others are not continuing to grow. Um, and, you know, for, for many reasons, but... Even the, the, the last, I guess, downturn or, or, or correction that we saw in the market, um, I personally don't feel that, that, uh, Polygon was very hurt. You know, um, you, you see numbers of Polygon, uh, uh, chasing one record number after another and the technology at the end of the day is what keeps us there, right? There, there's so much innovation being shown, so much done in the background to, to really continue that narrative that Polygon might be the best scaling solution for Ethereum. And, and uh, yeah, um, those, you know, obviously uh, I'm biased to a certain extent. I'm also the Polygon advocate for Austria, Switzerland, and Germany, but uh, um, that doesn't change my, my opinion that, that the, the tech is, is, is very sophisticated, very uh, uh, thoughtful, quite well battle tested which in, in this day and age is also an important uh, uh, very important uh, attribute and uh, yeah and um, maybe uh, Danielle can also share um, some of the stuff we do on the research side together with Polygon which um, I think really um, you know was something that no one else would be able to do yeah so um, I'd like to I mean this is actually a perfect like Gary absolutely right it's a perfect place to transition to what we do in the research I'd like to add one more thing to what you said and that is that, um, 
So Polygon is part of the wider like uh, uh, Ethereum ecosystem push to scale to, to scale Ethereum, right? Um, but within that, I think, and there's many players that are trying, they're, they're effectively trying to play the same game in that sense. But what Polygon I think does uh, uh, differentiates itself from others extremely well is that um, it it I lends itself better to more enterprise facing solutions. Uh, um, uh, for 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 the meat space, interacting, interfacing with 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 with, uh, um, uh, with blockchain technologies, um, we've talked about before about supernets. Uh, that's a typical example. Like you offer blockchain as a service in a simple and standardized way, such that um, you know, like any any business can potentially integrate. Um, uh, but then, but also, you know, they they speak very closely with regulators. They speak um, uh, the, the the DeFi the Polygon DeFi team is 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 a, is a regular often at at central bank events. They're very close with their regulatory space and they follow the pulse of it. This doesn't mean that there can't be other other uh, scaling solutions that that simply do not care about all these things. But the reality is that especially within the DeFi space where you where you want to effectively bring on the next billion users you want to bring on the big multi-billion dollar companies you want to bring on stock exchanges onto uh, on um, onto the blockchain uh, you you can't pretend that regulation isn't going to be something that you have to deal with and tassel and tussle with at some point and in this sense when you look when you look at all the scaling solutions happening on ethereum um, I think polygon is 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 primarily placed to be able to, um, to 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 handle the storm of regulations, that's well, we don't have to call it a storm. It's 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 a rite of passage that we're going to have to do to to mature. It's a it's a coming of age that the blockchain ecosystem is going to have to is going to have to go through, especially in DeFi. Uh, now, uh, how do we fall into that? Well, we have a, we have a a, a very active uh, research team at uh, at Ovix. I'm the head of research uh, and investment there myself, and I work in very close collaboration with Amit Chaudhary, who is um, uh, um, who is head of DeFi research. Uh, at uh, at Polygon, uh, and we we published a paper on uh, lending market stabilities um, in uh, back in was it April or May at this point? We got time is flying by so fast, um, but. Um, we are we are we are we're doing many things. So um, on one hand, we are uh, building um, uh, protocol risk dashboards, where like basically um, think of them like like a, a UI front ends, where both users and protocol operators alike can join in to to see like the, the health of their uh, of, of 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 their protocol and the and the users on their protocol. Um, effectively, we're we're trying to expand a lot on. Uh, if you think about it, lending up until now, lending markets. The 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 the, the, the safety management, the, the 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 user health management on lending markets has basically been defined by one number, the health factor, which uh, is is very was has been very effective. It's got us to where we are right now, but it turns out it's a very it's uh it's it's a very naive number to use to define the security and the health of 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 a of, of, a, of a leveraged DeFi position. Um, uh, typically, we use health factors as just like a metric for how close we are. To being liquidated, but that's that just but that closeness is uh, is is defined in a in a very ambiguous way. When you want to know how close you are to liquidation, the way it should really be expressed is in the form of like a probability. What is the probability of you being liquidated in the next 10 minutes, hour, 24 hours, two days, um, given the current market behavior, given the current volatilities and the assets uh, present in your portfolio, both on deposited and on the borrowed side? Uh, you want to know you want to know how is my liquidation probability. Uh, dependent on the amount of available liquidity uh, in the markets for the assets that I'm holding, which is a typical situation where where effectively liquidation cascades end up being generated, and all these things are kind of are are, are too multidimensional for the health factor alone to process. Um, and so, so on one hand, we're 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 building a, a protocol risk dashboard, which internally at Ovix is going to be a user risk dashboard for the Ovix users themselves, where users can see and will we'll be able to see and update it, uh, um, uh, uh, probability number for 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 their for the the probability of liquidation of their position, not just of their position, but also relative to the liquidation probabilities that other users on the platform are taking across that same time period, which we think would be very very helpful for users to see. But uh, another aspect that we're focusing a lot of energies on, it's actually a part of a paper that we're currently writing actually these days, uh, is on this notion of toxicity numbers. Uh, so we talked about how we, we've onboarded uh, Mai and we will be imminently onboarding uh, Matic X. Um, uh, uh, this isn't something that happens in two days, even though it's technically not that complicated to do uh, in the sense that once you have, once you have an up and running uh, functional lending market like Ovix, adding a new token or not is, is, is 
technically not that complicated. It really just boils down to picking some protocol parameters for it, checking if you have a price feed that you feel comfortable with using, and then you can just deploy, you can just deploy, deploy the market. Um, however, we've been talking about this for, for months now because I was approached with, okay, can we create a pathway for onboarding an asset like my and an, an asset like Matic X? Because uh, effectively, uh, up until that point, whenever we assess the risk of assets uh, on a lending market, we literally, we effectively just, just simulate uh, uh, parallel realities of price days, of price action days, and we see on how many of those days uh, X amounts of users get liquidated on our platform, on how many of those days our protocol risks becoming insolvent, uh, which is obviously, you obviously target your protocol parameters to make that, uh, to basically nullify that number, obviously. Um, but when you start talking about uh, stable assets, and by stable assets, I'm gonna, it's, I know it's not a standard term, but I consider stable assets any asset that is either a stable coin or an asset that is pegged to, to, to some other asset. Okay, so in the case of 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 like uh, like staked Matic, staked Matic effectively is pegged to the value of Matic. If you believe that you can get your staked Matic out, that's the price of it. That's its value. Actually, it's a little bit more valuable because you get the interest rate on it. Also, uh, but if you have a liquid staked Matic token, the the idea is that if you trust how how that how that liquid staked token um, uh, functions at the smart contract level, then the value of that token should basically be pegged to the value of Matic. Right. If you trust that a stable coin uh, performs its service, uh, if it's a US, if it's a USD stable coin, you trust that the value of that coin stays pegged to the dollar. And when you look at the big blue chip stable coins, that's typically what you see. If you look at the price history of USDC or the price history of USDT, you don't really see major depegging events in the price in the price of these assets. And by major depegging events, I'm talking like. You know, uh, not necessarily what we talked about, what we saw with with with, with UST right before its collapse, but but if something more 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 close to close to home uh, is staked ether. The way staked ether depegged uh, in uh, in June uh, during during the liquidation attack on the Celsius positions uh, that, that that were held on Ave, right? Um, and so it's really hard to establish how to stress test a protocol that's holding stable assets because you can't use their price history to like construct alternative price timelines to stress your protocol. Because I mean, if, you're, if you have these assets on your protocol, it's typically because they're good assets. So they've been pegged up until now. So how, are you gonna, how do you simulate a depegging? Effectively, a depegging is, is, a, is a really tail, it's a, ta it's a big tail risk event that you simple, whose, prop, whose statistical properties simply cannot be extracted from the past price history of that asset. So uh, long story short, I apologize for the long detour. Um, uh, the approach that we thought is like, let's take it back to basics. Okay, we want to list a token on our protocol. What's the worst that can happen to users on a protocol? Well, the worst that could happen is a user has a toxic asset. And by toxic, I mean an asset that, let's say in the case of a stable asset, would be an asset that depegs significantly, is going through a depegging event, right? And the worst that can happen is that because of the, of the depegging event, the, the user is, uh, is liable for liquidation and they cannot be liquidated. That's the worst thing that can happen to our protocol. If a lending market is only as healthy as the, the market for its liquidators. If it's liquidator, if the liquidators aren't liquidating users on your protocol, you're gonna become unhealthy really fast. Case in point, very, very recent case in point, what we've been seeing with Ben Dow, what's happening with Ben Dow, uh, the lending market for NFTs, where you can collateralize NFTs to borrow, to borrow assets. Right, they're in a situation where uh, the, NF the, the market for a lot of these NFTs plummeted, and as a result of this plummeting, um, a lot of users should be getting liquidated, but nobody's liquidating them because there isn't a market for these NFTs. There isn't enough liquidity to liquidate these NFTs, and that is a serious problem. This is how a lending market fails. Right. So taking it back to basics, I said, okay, well, like we like talking internally with the team, we said, okay, well, let's let's just focus on this. Is there a liquid enough? market for liquidations on our assets and more specific and how much is liquid enough you know is if there's if there's enough if there's like a a 10 million dollar market for an asset is that enough if there's a billion dollar market for, for, for an asset is that enough well the reality is that num is that is that that number on its own doesn't mean anything doesn't tell you anything it's you have to look at that number in relationship to how much 
well, to the value of the toxic assets collateralizing loans on a lending market. And not just your lending market, all the lending markets. Because if we're liquidating users on our platform because, let's say, uh, DAI is depegging, uh, guess what? There's a lot of DAI users in other lending markets that are probably getting liquidated for the same exact reason. So that means that the state of your uh, the, the state of the porf- of the portfolios of your own of your own protocols users alone uh, does not give you enough information on how toxic that asset can or cannot be. You have to take into account all the other collateral, all the other collateral that um, that it, that is act that that asset is actively being employed as throughout the entire um, uh, Polygon ecosystem. In our case, and so that has led us to define this notion of a toxicity number to go with toxic assets toxicity number, um, which is very very simple. It's basically a ratio. Okay, it's a it's a worst case scenario. Think of like a worst case scenario. It's the ratio between where the numerator is the total value of it, it, it focuses on a specific asset, okay? So t- t- take an asset that you want to focus on, okay? The toxicity number for this asset is defined as a ratio, where the numerator is the value of all the collateral that is actively underwriting loans throughout your blockchain ecosystem. So and again, in our case, Polygon. And the denominator and the denominator is, is the available liquidity to swap out of that asset. So in other words, for, this, is sound, this is very technical, but to, to boil it down even more, is there an, if I wanted right now to liquidate all the users of a specific asset on all the lending markets on Polygon, is there enough liquidity to pull that off? And that's a toxicity number. Obviously, if that number is zero, that means that there is abundant uh, liquidity to liquidate, to liquidate users. Uh, as this number goes up, you start getting into dangerous territory. So just to put it into context, the toxicity number for for staked ETH on mainnet on mainnet, which is which is relatively easy to calculate because it's effectively all in the hands of all the all the collateralizing staked ETH is effectively on Aave, and um, uh, all the, the the liquidity pools available on chain are effectively are dominated by the liquidity on the ST ETH ETH curve pool on mainnet. If you compute the toxicity number for staked ETH on mainnet, you get a value of 1.8. That means that for every staked ETH that can be right now market sold on chain on mainnet, there are 1.8 staked ETH, which are actively collateralizing loans. And and so and, and this number and this number is a number that isn't necessarily protocol specific because if you have a lot of lending markets, it's it's a it's constructed by looking at how this asset is collateralizing loans across all the various lending markets. And so in this sense, we believe that we, we, obviously we will be publishing toxicity numbers on OVEX. Uh, we, 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 we would like, we think everybody should uh, publish the toxicity numbers for assets because it's a quantity that is entirely defined on chain. It is, it is very native. We could natively have uh, oracles uh, on-chain oracles uh, publish uh, toxicity numbers, and we believe that toxicity numbers have a place in DeFi to kind of uh, help uh, guide uh, all participating protocols into into allowing users to to take risk and take leverage with with whichever assets they please. I feel like we could do a whole show on toxicity numbers and health factor meters, and uh, we should. <laughs> I know we're kind of we're kind of we're kind of running up on time here a little bit, but there's like a, there's a couple follow ups that I, I want to ask about that specifically because kind of how when you were talking about the dynamic uh interest rate model and how it's very computationally intensive because you're doing it on chain so it, there's a lot of extra gas costs that are associated with that this health factor meter it, it, i'm assuming i mean this also sounds very very computationally intensive and so is this being calculated off chain and, and brought in somehow or Yes. Or is that not? Is there not yes. a market for that yes. right now? Yes. Whereas, whereas the health factor is very easy to calculate on chain because it's basically just a function of your loan to value ratio. So effectively, you take a user's portfolio, you calculate the dollar value of all their loans, you calculate the dollar value of all their collaterals, you do a ratio of that, and you have the loan to value ratio. And the health factor is just a function of that number. So that's very easy to do on chain, of course. Uh, for more sophisticated uh, risk metrics, you have to go off chain. You have to go off chain because effectively what we need to do is we need to we need to like effectively simulate thousands of, of parallel realities where price does whatever it does and look across all these parallel realities how many times you got liquidated. Like if you are in a in a, in like if you're if you are in, in like in an ETH BTC long position with some leverage, 
okay? If ETH pumps today, you don't get liquidated. If ETH dumps a little bit, you don't get liquidated. If ETH dumps a certain amount, you do get liquidated, right? And so the, your probability of liquidation in this case is how likely is that ETH dumps below a certain threshold? Right now, this is is actually not even that hard to compute in a sense because you could you could approximate this in a, in a number in a number of ways, given that we're only looking at two different assets. But if you have a complex portfolio with a number of different collateral assets and a number of different loan assets, this this probability is not that trivial. You have to effectively simulate it. You have to stress test your protocol, especially if you want to factor in especially if you want to factor in available liquidity in the case of liquidations. So if you're in a, in a long ETH BTC position and you suddenly start getting liquidated, you get liquidated at what price? Because it's not the price at which you just crossed into, into, into a liquidability threshold. Because it, at that moment, there's probably a number of people like you who are probably getting liquidated also. And so who's going to get liquidated first? How much liquidity is going to be available on, on the mixture of on-chain DEXs and, and off-chain liquidity to liquidate you when it's your turn to be, uh, to, to be liquidated? What's going to be your liquidation price at that point? And if the price start, dumps further beyond that, how much, how much more liquidity will get sapped out of, out of exchanges? And at what price will you get liquidated next? Like it's, not an, it's not an obvious problem. And the only way to really tackle it is to effectively simulate it like over and over and over again adding noise to, to all, the, all these quote-unquote alternate realities and see in how many of these realities you got liquidated and for how much you got liquidated and you know, all the various statistics. And this needs to be, and this gets simulated off-chain. We, we have an AWS instance. Perfect. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And like I said, we're kind of running up on time, unfortunately, because this is a great conversation and I love the protocol, but I just want to give you all a chance real quick. Is there anything that we haven't had a chance to talk about that you want to address specifically about OVIX or GoGo or is just the crypto market in general? Uh, no, um, I think we, we really covered a lot and, uh, yeah, we'd love for people to, to explore the new products that are being launched, uh, the global V2 pools that I think the, the Go community is very excited about, um, that, um, yeah, provides alter neutral, um, solutions. So for people that don't want to take any, any sort of directional risk and, and want to be fully hatched. Um, and yeah, definitely stay tuned for everything that we discussed, uh, today, um, because we, 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 we can't wait to, you know, push, push out, uh, the announcements and, and, um, have, yeah, the, the, the veto economics go live with the token. So yeah, some, some really exciting stuff, um, hopefully, um, in the works, um, and, uh, something we can then maybe discuss, um, in one of the next, uh, AMAs or podcasts we might do. Yeah, absolutely. Daniela, do you have anything to add? Um, no, no, no. I mean, it's a pleasure to be on, on the podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, we are just very focused on competing in the space because like you said earlier, and I guess one of the questions that didn't, wasn't proper, that I didn't get a chance to, 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 to chime in on was you asked, how do you compete in this space where there's so many DEXs, so many lending markets? And you no, know, we can't just be competing on onboarding assets because, like I said, onboarding an asset is a technically trivial task once you have a functional lending market, right? So if, if, one, if one lending market onboards an asset and the onboarding of that asset is valuable and profitable and brings utility to the protocol, then it costs nothing to another lending market to do effectively the same exact thing. What matters, though, is the network that you build strategically with these protocols that you're onboarding, which is which what Gary has said a bunch, uh, talked about, a bunch about, um, and and having not just onboarding an asset for the sake of onboarding the asset, but to to kind of synergize on the utility that that you earn and that you gain and the asset gains by your interaction your interaction with it. And this goes beyond the, the simple logic of the smart contracts. This is, there, there's a very human, I think there's a very human aspect uh, to this matter. This is where one maybe would say betting on a team effectively. And the other aspect that we want to differentiate ourselves on is, is precisely the, the, the risk management aspect. We, we believe that DeFi has come such a long way. It's really impressive how far we've gotten. But the next step of the challenge is going to be onboarding, like dealing with the regulatory funnel and, and convincing regulators that we're not just 
like cow- snake oil salesmen and cowboys were actually trying to create a safe space for people to experiment with these these completely novel financial primitives, right? And in this respect, uh, I think it's really important that we all push each other to raise the bar in what is what is what does safe mean uh, in, in in DeFi? How can we make De- DeFi safe for all? As as Amit likes to say a lot, um, and um, and from this perspective, I think I think we're 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 very well positioned. Uh, we might not be as big as other players, but we think we're we're very big in terms of this kind of positioning and uh, the, how much we love we, we we push it, um, and how much we invest in it from a resource perspective. Uh, and then our partnership, uh, like our close partnership with Polygon, uh, for, for all the things that we've said also earlier, is extremely crucial at, at this point. After, after, at the end of the day, we are effectively building a like a like a like a financial a financial protocol, and so it's important to 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 be positioned in the right in the right on the right blockchain in the right ecosystem to be able to push all these concepts in the most effective and efficient manner. And even the fact that like we're so focused and so like, you know, uh, such strong believers in Polygon, I think gives us, gives us a strong edge um, from this point of view. Well, we appreciate it. We definitely do. And one final thing, where can people go to find out more about the two of you and Ovix and GoGo. Yeah, so make sure to follow us um, yes, on Twitter. Um, um, just uh, at Gary Crook. And I think, uh, Daniele, your your tag is uh, at uh, D... Uh, is it is it uh, uh, is it your name? Or have you changed it recently? I need to check. Um, no, no, on Twitter. Ch- no, no, on Twitter, uh, tw- you can find you can easily find me on Twitter at Pesto Papa. And uh, then we have obviously um, at Ovix and at GoCoin on Twitter. So this is where where people can stay up to date with uh, everything. And if you want to join our DAO and uh, the community and see what's what's happening and about the votes and and uh, the the ideas and uh, they're flowing around, uh, definitely make sure to join our Discords um, and our Telegram channels. Uh, that's that's where the action happens and um if you if you uh, really want to engage we have a great ambassador program called ovix chats and google fam and um, they also um, are mainly active on twitter as well as uh, discord so definitely make sure to check it out and uh, yeah um as we said in the, in the past uh, we're, we're considering an airdrop um uh, so the community is uh, currently deciding on this and uh, yeah so uh, might be worth your while to, to, to explore more on, 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 on all the of last go. There's some more alpha. All right. Well, thanks again, Gary and Daniela. And thanks to everyone who's listening and watching. If you're watching on Polygon TV, please subscribe. And also if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple podcasts, subscribe there as well. Uh, thanks again. And I'll see y'all next time. Thanks, Gary, Daniela. Appreciate it. Bye, Jess.